Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and Ben Love of Gigantic Brewing in Portland, Oregon, is my guest this week. We're going to be talking about disappearing hops, returnable bottles, and bad decisions made with gin. We're going to get into the show in just a moment, but first, this episode is sponsored by Lawson's Finest Liquids, and joining me on the line is Sean Lawson. He is the namesake of the brewery, and we're talking about Sip of Sunshine. And Sean, so many people associate the brewery with this particular beer, but I think a refresher or an introduction is probably always good. So if you can shine some light on this beer, I'd appreciate it. The Sip of Sunshine came to be... Uh, back in the late 2000s when I was experimenting with this new hop called Citra. Mm. And it was part of the new wave of hops that instead of featuring, uh, you know, pine and citrus as the classic uh, Pacific Northwest sea hop, uh, it presented a a much fruitier uh, flavor profile, uh, a little bit softer bitterness. And I made a actually a five-gallon batch of homebrew, and as I was sipping on it, I was like, oh, it's, it's like juicy fruit gum. It's like, it's like, it's like drinking sunshine and uh, turned it into double sunshine and started brewing it at our little brewery up in Warren, Vermont. And in 2014, uh, demand had just outpaced uh, our supply incredibly. And at that point in time, I was looking at our options and Two Roads Brewing had just opened and I took a look at the option there and decided to formulate a beer that would be inspired by Double Sunshine, but would be slightly different. It's a little bit lighter on the palate. Uh, it's a little bit lighter in color, a, a little bit more dangerously drinkable at 8%. And I called it Sip of Sunshine. And that bright yellow can has become synonymous with the Lawson's finest name. And I'm so thrilled that so many fans uh, have followed us on this journey along the way and have made uh, Sip of Sunshine our number one signature liquid. Well, we're going to talk about the importance of the beer on the brewery at the bottom of the show when you'll be back with us to talk some more. But for now, you can find uh, more information about Sip of Sunshine and all of the other brewery's beers by going to lawsonsfinest.com. We're also sponsored by NC Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. We're also brought to you by Dragon's Milk. 20 years ago, New Holland Brewing Company embarked on a journey into the unknown, brewing the first batch of Dragon's Milk bourbon barrel aged stout. What started as a single barrel in the back of the brewery has transformed into the best-selling American-made stout today, pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak. It's from its time in bourbon barrels. Each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. So welcome to the show. By the time you're hearing this, if all goes according to plan, when this episode goes live, I'll be down the Jersey Shore. I'll be unplugged and drinking cream ale. It's been a long planned vacation. And as I got ready for some days away, I had this sense of senioritis kind of kick in. I knew I needed to get a show done, but my brain was 
also mushy from deadlines in life and the desire to head into just a week off. So when an email from Ben Love popped up in my email, I knew exactly what to do. I've known Ben for years. I've been to his brewery, the one that he co-founded with Van Having, and even spent some time, as you'll hear, with him in New Zealand, where he poured at the Beervana Festival, and I spoke at the country's Black Tie Brewers Gathering. Ben is a brewer who likes to tease out flavors and look for the unexpected. He also has a traditionalistic speak, uh, streak in him, and all of it shows in his beer. He's also a world-class conversationalist, and I knew that having him on the show would be an easy layup as I head into break. Is it lazy? Yeah, maybe. But it's still entertaining and informative for you because I would never, ever, ever sacrifice on that. So here it is. Ben was at the brewery in Portland, Oregon, and I kicked things off with a cupcake question. What's going on, Ben Love? Uh, you know, things aren't too bad. Um you know, I mean, as far as like COVID goes, Oregon reopened uh, at the end of June. And so, you know, we're back to like full capacity here and things are going pretty good. People are people are out and about and, you know, living their lives more normally again. So that's good. Um, we were excited. My wife is Canadian. And so uh, we were able to travel back to Canada to see her family uh, at the beginning of July when they opened that place up again, um, which worked out pretty well. It was pretty... You know, it was interesting because we had to get, we had three COVID tests, uh, you know, like two to two once we, one to get in, one mm-hmm. once we got there, and then one to come back to the States, of course. And That is a I'm lot of nasal swabbing. <laughs> it is a lot of nasal, nasal swabbing. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, I, I only had one COVID test during, you know, like an actual COVID test mm-hmm. when I got sick and, you know, hey, maybe it's COVID and. The one that they, you know, they don't do the one that goes like up into your brain anymore that, uh, you know, it's just the inside your nose, which actually I kind of find it worse because it's really ticklish and it, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard not to sneeze. Like the other one feels really strange, but yeah, that's about it, you know? Um, so yeah, so we're going back to Canada again at the end of August. And so, so we get to go through and get a bunch of tests again. And so more nose tickles. More nose tickles, yeah, exactly. That's a good yeah. name for a beer, by the way. If you if you if you were going to name a beer, nose tickles. What what style of beer would you name? Like, like what like what would what what's the ultimate style for that? Yeah. Oh geez, man, I don't even know. I you know might as well make something that sells and like a hazy IPA. <laughs> oh, see, that's just come on. I know that's an easy one, right? No, it's funny because actually you asked me that, and I think of. Uh, uh, just the other night, I was sitting, in, sitting out front of our tap room, and uh, and somebody had those like Harry Potter uh, jelly bellies, which are basically mm-hmm. like disgusting flavors. And so, you know, it goes right to that in my mind. You know, I think one of them is earwax, so we could just make a uh, <laughs> snot flavored beer. That I'm 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 immediately regretting having you on the show this week. <laughs> See, that's we're like you, three minutes into it went right away that's where my, my mind went immediately and i was like i'm gonna play it safe i'll be like let's make a beer that sells because what else would nose tickles be i mean maybe something with uh <laughs> with coca leaves okay <laughs> well why'd your brain go there because because of cocaine okay Oh, <laughs> you're gonna have to edit all this out, aren't you? No, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm going on vacation next week. This is all just live to tape, <laughs> just being just up. thrown up on I mean, the internet. 
Um, nose tickles, right? What else? What else? You know, nose tickles. What would you do? I, I, I don't, I'm not a brewer. I just come up with the really good names <laughs> and then let, let your creativity fly from there. Um, right. I yeah, did a exactly. quick search while we were talking. There's a beer called, let's see, looks like there's tongue tickles. And then there's some other beers called tickle parts, which I don't even want to walk down that road. Um, but I don't see nose tickles. So like, you have like a whole week uh, to get, to get TTB approval before this goes out in the world and somebody else is going to, um, to, to, to take it over. Um, can I ask you about the creative process? Because I know you're a brewery that puts out a lot of different beers and yeah. you, you have over the years. And you know, in some cases you have not a tradition, but in other cases you are you know, doing offbeat or, you know, trying to skew something just so uh, that you're putting your own spin on it. When you're creating a beer recipe, for the first time, where do you start? Wow. Um, yeah, it depends, it depends on the beer, you know, I mean, for that, like, like nose tickles is actually kind of a good example. You know, I kind of think about, um, you know, what that makes me think of. Um, and so it, it depends on, you know, if we're doing something, uh, along those lines, uh, <laughs> I guess that's more of like a challenge beer. Uh, you know, so typically if we're creating a beer, you know, it, I'm usually going for something that it's a flavor that I want to, that I want to either put into a beer or like, let's say like a hop that I've had before, you know, or, or I had somebody else's beer and I'm like, wow, um, I really like that hop. I think I want to make it, you know, take it and do it, do it a certain way to get, get the flavor that I want out of it. Um, and then, I mean, we've done a number of cocktail beers, uh, or cocktail inspired beers. And so, you know, starting with those flavors and then basically, you know, deconstructing them and trying to find ways to, uh, put that flavor into a beer. So, you know, we've done like, a um, Corp Survivor. Uh, so, okay. you know, we are looking at the citrus in that we, we yeah, have remind great, people what's in a Corp Survivor, a corpse um, survivor especially yeah, me totally, because it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. So, um, so corporate survivor is, uh, what lemon, uh, gin typically, uh, and the corpse survivor number two has absinthe in it. Um, and then, uh, it, uh, I feel like it also has, uh, the one that we did, we put some, uh, gentian root in it as well, which is basically, it's part of, uh, making tonic. And so it has, hmm. it has a bitterness that's similar to quinine, but it's not as harsh. Okay. And so, you know, we add that in the hot bag and then we put a bunch of, uh, you know, fresh lemon and orange, uh, into the gin barrels. We have this great, uh, access to gin barrels from uh, ransom distillery here in Oregon. Okay. They make a fantastic old Tom gin that they age. They're a, they're a distillery and winery. And so they take their old wine barrels and uh age their gin in it along with they do like whiskey and a few other products as well like a grappa and some other things but everything starts um, off clean gets wine and then spirits mm-hmm. yeah okay. yep um and then we get those freshly emptied and uh the one beer that we do in that that's kind of a regular beer is uh the pipe wrench uh which mm-hmm. is our gin barrel aged ipa yeah which got me in a lot of trouble when we were uh in new zealand together uh, yes. down for that longest lunch yeah that's right i forgot <laughs> about that they were serving that there was it was like this four-hour yeah. lunch that they did and yeah yeah 
but it was in the, the, the dinner or the lunch that. was in the lobby of the hotel. So it wasn't like it was yes. hard to get home. No. Well, what, what it was is that, you know, we did the lunch and it was what it was uh, three, three or four of us brewers from the U S three or four brewers from New Zealand. And we all presented our beers and I presented the pipe branch. And then we went from there to uh, I think they called the event mashing in, which was basically like the, the local brewers guild held a, intro event for the festival and so we went over okay. there and had a bunch of drinks and then we made our way down to the malt house and uh and mike from uh panhead brewing and joe uh those guys were they are huge gin fans and and mike was like mike was telling joe about this beer and and i was explaining to them how the whole pipe wrench thing comes out of it's a drop shot so it's you know it's a boiler maker essentially it's you drop a shot of gin into a pint of ipa and down that and right away, like Mike and Joe were like, well, let's do that, you know? And uh, <laughs> it was like, yeah, this was basically the end of the night for me. And yeah. uh, and we, we went in and uh, they had, I remember they had like three IPAs on tap, but they were all like 9% plus. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they had. And, and one of them was the, uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which was a beer that uh, Joe and Mike had been a part of making. I think it was like 10, 10, 11, 12%. And so, yeah. We did that. We just did like a 30, 30 centiliter pour. Didn't go for a full pint. But yeah, that was uh, quite the intro to uh, Beervana down in uh, down in Wellington. Yeah, that was 2014 that we did that. It was that long ago? Yeah, I guess yeah. it was. Yeah, we were much younger men at that point where we could. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily need a Corpse Reviver cocktail. Well. And that was in our Backstreet Boys phase. I don't know if you remember that, that, you know, that we had those fantastic, uh, like, headsets they had us wear uh, when we were doing the, you know. Right. Um, All the presentations twi- and everything. <laughs> yeah, the presentations at, like, the chef stage and stuff. And Yeah. <laughs> um, what, I, what I remember from that festival was it was the first time that I had ever seen uh, so this is Beervana. It's in Wellington. Um, I think they still do it every year, but they they had a tattoo parlor set up inside of the festival, oh. so people could get tattoos while they were at the beer festival. Yeah, that was uh, Panhead Burns, their booth. It, it, it was an actual brewery booth. Yeah, yeah. So it was a brewery booth. It was uh, those guys had built that tattoo parlor as their like as their basically their their stand pouring their pints yeah and they had people in there getting tattooed what's crazy about that is uh mike was telling me that they built they built it for the fest and then that was like the one time it, it was ever existed they didn't well, that festival <laughs> they basically had, do something new every year you know well that festival has a or it did a competition <laughs> excuse me among brewers yeah. uh and you would like win I don't know, I guess bragging rights or maybe fabulous cash prizes. I don't know, but um, <laughs> for the most inventive booth or the most booth. exciting booth or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the garage project guys, they had like a booth that was essentially, it was kind of up on stilts and it was surrounded by like laser lights. And I feel like they might've even had smoke, although maybe they were just like taking beer and adding nitrogen. That's actually <laughs> the smoke was that they're adding liquid nitrogen to beer to make like, beer slushies or beer sorbet or something like that. Okay. So yeah, no, they get pretty creative down there. It was, it was a lot of fun. Do you miss festivals? Uh, yes, to a certain extent. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I have a great time, uh, going to, going to festivals and hanging out. And, uh, so yeah, I do, I do miss them in some ways, although at the same time, I don't know, like 
we got to go, we got to do a lot of camping last year. So that was really exciting. It was something that I think normally I don't feel like I have the time for because it, you know, like, like be during when it's busy and I will be going somewhere. It seems like every four to six weeks. And yeah. so when I'm home, I just want to be home. And so it was kind of nice to have all that time to, uh, to go do other things, but I, I'm definitely like, I'm excited for, for traveling. You know, we're, uh, we're invited to the McKellar festival in Copenhagen, uh, that they moved to October. So we're got our plane tickets. We're planning to go to that as long as they, uh, as long as they still let us in, you know? Um, so I am, yeah, I'm excited to, to get back on the road and hang out with people and, uh, take part in these events again. When so your your brewery has, I mean, international renownedness. Um, you know, I mean, I know you're still small despite the name, but um, you guys go to a lot of events or you know do a lot of collaborations with international brewers, national brewers. Um, you must get hit up all the time to go to things. What is it for you? Like, what's the threshold to get? gigantic at a beer festival is is it just somebody asking you or are you discerning on certain levels yeah i mean we're discerning to a certain extent because we can't do everything we just don't have this i mean i would love to do everything but uh like you said like we are still a small brewery so i i have to be here to to run things you know to do my part of this business um unfortunately i'm not the yeah, we aren't big enough. We aren't making enough money that I can like hire somebody to essentially do my job so I can just travel the world and uh, drink beer, which would be pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so we, we do have to pick and choose. And um, and sometimes, you know, the last festival that I, that I went to is uh, that I can think of, like the international festival that wasn't invited. I actually, there's a great festival in Portugal called uh, art beer fest and it's one what's that it I what's it see, called again uh art beer fest art beer fest okay cool and it's in yeah it's in caminha which is this little tiny town at the north end of portugal uh, it's about i don't know about an hour north of uh porto and i I'd, I'd seen some videos and pictures of it and stuff and it just looked amazing and uh i met the one of the organizers uh, octavio at the mckellar festival and so anyways i I hit him up and, uh, and also through a brewer friend and was like, was like, Hey, you know, you guys are looking for anybody. I'd love to come check this, you know, come be a part of your festival and everything. And he was like, yeah, totally. So he came out and that's actually one that, you know, um, I'm hoping to, hoping to go again next year. We're planning on going next year. If it, if it happens or everything comes together and stuff. Um, right, and, but, but what, even that, yeah, no, I was just gonna say like, what's the appeal though to, to, to go to festivals. Cause I, I, you sound jazzed about this, but I talk to brewers now and again, and you know, part of it is, okay, it's going to be name recognition for us to be there, or, hey, there's going to be some people that we know uh, that we can hang out in, or like we can be in a different city or something like that. But there's usually yeah. like an undercurrent of, but this is a lot of work, and I don't necessarily know if there's a you know huge return for the for the business on the back end of this, or you know, there's like the you know the party side, and then there's sort of like the deep, dark, rational side. Yeah, totally. And, and I guess for me, yeah, it's really the, it's, it's having fun. Um, it's having fun and get to know these other brewers. And, and we always, there's no, I don't think there's like monetary, uh, well, as far as like 
what I usually get out of it is meeting another brewer or meeting these, you know, these other people getting to know them really well. And then having resources, you know, when we're working on new projects. And so, you know, you get to have a lot of times at these festivals, you know, you got people that are making uh, stunt beers essentially for these festivals. And sometimes, you know, you'd be like, Oh, I'm interested in, in this thing, this aspect of a beer. And so you're like, I had the beer that this guy made for this festival and I'll, I'll hit him up. I know him now. And so it helps me out that way. As far as like business goes, you know, I think, I don't know. It seems to me most people that uh, come to Gigantic that actually buy Gigantic beer, you know, live in Portland, Oregon, and uh, they have no idea that we're traveling to these festivals all around the world to to pour our beer, you know. And so that that's not an aspect of selling our beer day to day necessarily, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's there are people that travel to Portland and and do beer travel and come to our brewery because we've been at these festivals. So there is an aspect of that, but it's not like the huge. Uh, it's not a big driver. I mean, I guess for us and for me, it's having the opportunity to travel, going to experience uh, these festivals, getting to hang out with great people, getting to learn uh, how to make these different beers, you know? Um, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, getting, getting to these festivals, it's just, it's, it was always a driver for our brewery to kind of like to, to be able to travel the world uh, as a result of, uh, making beer. Um, and yeah, kind of losing my train of thought now. <laughs> no, no, but is, is there an example though, of something that you tasted at a festival that sort of sparked your creativity wow. that turned into something else? It's funny. I, well, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now, but I know that it's happened. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you sit on that yeah. for a second, but because right. I yeah. want to go back to something else that you said earlier when you were talking about hops um, and you said, you know, getting the flavor that you want out of them. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've talked to Van about this before. Um, and I, I, I guess you all are experimenting with different ways of hopping your beers um, or you've used different processes in the past and gotten some fun results out of it. You know, it's not just like, Oh, we have citro mosaic. We're going to just dump it in a beer. Um, you're really trying to like manipulate things to, I guess, push hops to its limit in some cases and trying to um, bring out sort of the unexpected um, or at least the, 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 not so common. Is that, is yeah, that fair? I mean, or, or utilizing hops, you know, uh, I think mosaic is a great example. And, and I don't think, um, and one of the things that we do with that is typically when we use a mosaic, you know, we'll use it and we'll in the kettle and we'll actually, we'll boil it for at least 10 minutes because that seems to bring out, uh, more pronounced, uh, that, that red fruit, um, that, um, yeah, that, 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 not juicy, but yeah, I guess that, that real, like red like, fruit, like, ripe, red fruit or character. like berry, like berry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like a berry character. And, um, I mean, not that, I mean, we still use the dry hop as well, but typically if we're writing a recipe, we'll use it in that way. And, and, um, you know, so we're always, you know, we have, uh, well, any brewer does, but I mean, <laughs> we have, we have, you know, of course we can put it in the kettle, we can put it in our hot back, which we have like a full size hot back. Essentially it's a mash ton because uh, we use whole leaf hops on the hot side. And then, um, of course, we can, you know, dry hop as well, just like like any brewer. But depending on where you add these different hops, you you, you bring out different aspects 
of uh, hop aroma and flavor. And so, yeah, we're always uh, experimenting to get the right flavor out of those hops. And, and also like, um, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, you have somebody else's beer and it's made with a hop variety you haven't tried before. And you're like, wow, this is really exciting. Um, I really, you know, like these flavors, how uh, it's, it's hard to, we get these hops in and the way that we typically experiment with them to begin with, to begin with is to uh, put them in a cask of our IPA. And uh, really, so just, just yeah. your baseline, just your, your, yeah, your core IPA. Your basic, yeah. Core gigantic IPA. So we'll, we'll get experimental hops in, um, you know, we put a few ounces in, uh, in a cask and then, and that's how we try it. So that's kind of step one for us. Um, and then, so I guess point being, you know, it's nice to have these festivals to to go try actual actual beers that are made with these hops, so we can get a better understanding of uh, of flavor, you know, and what something's going to be like. I mean, you know, we, I think about like the craft brewers conference, and mm-hmm. a big part of that, you know, all the the hop brewers and the suppliers and everything, you know, they have those. Uh, they're pouring different beers at their booths that are made with all these new hops so that, you know, you can get an idea of what exactly, uh, what kind of flavors and aromas you're going to get out of a hop. Um, and yeah, cause otherwise, I mean, it's, it's a big gamble to most people don't have a small brewing system. Don't, you know, they're not going to homebrew up a batch. And so, uh, if you bring something in, you need a way to, to test it out. So it's nice to have either a festival or yeah, a craft brewers conference or for us, you know, doing like pins, uh, in order to try hops out. So after something hits for you guys in the cask, um, what's the next step then? Uh, so, yeah. So the next step for us, you know, we, we do, um, our, our brew house, 15 barrel brew house. And so, uh, we'll do a single like 15 barrel draft only batch. Um, and you know, just scale it up and kind of see, see what that beer is like and then go from there. You know, I mean, we, we are always doing new beers. So it's kind of nice for us that they can pretty quickly turn into like an actual production size batch, uh, for us. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's basically, we just kind of, we just kind of run, run with it from there. We also, you know, we do a lot of collaborations and so the collaborations are a great opportunity to try new hops as well. Um, and it's funny, I, Right off the top of my head, we got one coming up. We're brewing in a couple of weeks with uh, Future Primitive Brewing from uh, from Seattle, and uh, we're going to be using lemon drop hops in it. And I get it; like lemon drop is nothing new. Lemon drop has been around for quite a long time, yeah. But we've never really used it before, and so those guys were like, "Hey, what do you think about some lemon drop?" And then also uh, cashmere. Uh, that's another newish one uh, that we actually just did a collaboration with Barrelick Brewing, which, uh, yeah, which actually, I think that's how we ended up doing this interview. Cause I sent you the press release for that and you're like, Hey, we should talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I said, Hey, I'm going on vacation. Uh, <laughs> I need an easy interview with somebody who I know who I, I feel like can just sort of take the reins, uh, from my mush addled brain <laughs> and you know i can just sort of lob easy questions and we'll and we'll go from there we'll and let them run with it yeah yeah so so yeah so thanks for getting back to me so quick um but so i'm glad that you mentioned lemon drop and that it's not a new hop because when you when you keep saying that you're playing with all of these these new hops like i know there are experimental varieties that come out yes. from the hop farms every year 
um, but not that many that make it into yeah. the hands of brewers. So I was, I, I was sort of curious as to what constituted being new for you. Yeah. And I mean, like, um, so it's something, yeah, it could be something we haven't worked with, but we do being, you know, being in Oregon, um, and being pretty tied in with, with the local hop community, you know, we do get access to those smaller batches and that's and, what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, a lot of times it, it, you know, it's just a, you know, it might be like 22 pounds or something like that. You know, it's not, it's not a lot of hop, um, but cause we have a 15 barrel system that can work out pretty well actually. And um, so, yeah, you know, there's been a handful of uh, experimental hops that we've, <laughs> that we worked with and liked and used. And then it seems like unless it gets a name though, that's the thing. Unless it gets a name and more people have access to it, it's probably not going to be around very long is what I feel like I've learned. Um, you know, if it only has a number, then it's just gonna, um, it seems like, it seems like, you know, they're always like, yeah, that hop had a really nice aroma and flavor, but the agronomics just didn't work. You know, it, it was just uh, a disease ridden or whatever, you know? Um, and so there's definitely how, a, how often do you think that, I, I mean, it must be common enough if you're bringing it up. I feel like it is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just based on my experience of a couple of hops that we've worked with, but uh, um, there is actually, there's one, we just, uh, uh, what was the number of that hop? Um, look it up. Uh, we did, we started doing uh, a seasonal IPA every spring, uh, which we're going to use, well, experimental or like new, new to us, but probably experimental hops in it. And um that we call catch 23 and there was a really great hop that we used in that and it and it worked out pretty good in the catch 23 but then we did a uh we did a collaboration with e9 uh from tacoma and um let me find the sheet and those guys um so they came down we brewed an ipa here and then when we went back up there we had brewed the catch 23 and uh, we really liked this hop and we we're like, I think it would be really good in a, in a Pilsner. Uh, it was this uh, X13459. And yeah, it made this amazing Pilsner. And the, it turned out fantastic because it was this hop that was like, it was fruity and floral and it had a little bit of a, kind of a strawberry character to it. And um, yeah, so it made this just delicious Pilsner. And then of course, yeah, the guys at Hopsteiner were like, yeah, that you guys bought the last of it. We actually bought them out. We started, we started talking about it. We bought them out. I, and that's, I'm not saying we didn't buy very much hop, you know, at the end right, of the day, I they, think it was But if they planted pounds. two acres, yeah. Yeah. Or but, not even. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I don't even think it was that much. Yeah. Uh, you know, two acres. I, I feel like an acre, you know, I think on average gets, I don't know, like, you know, probably around 2000 pounds. No, I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, totally. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So unfortunately, yeah, that one went sideways. Uh, well, it didn't go sideways. The beer was great, but, uh, the Steiner guys were like, what, what did you like about that hop? Cause you know, there's going to be something else coming up next. that's going to have, you know, citrus floral kind of peachy strawberry yeah. and stuff. So, um, there's always something new. It seems like. Yeah. But does that make it difficult though, that you can't really get attached to, to something? I mean, there, 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 there's gotta be fun in the, okay, we're always going to be making something different or like innovation yeah. is, is, is key to, the beer industry these days um, mm -hmm. and has been fueling it for so long, but there's also something to be said for, Hey, we really like this beer and we'd like to make it again. And if, if you can't, 
I, I imagine there's got to be a level of frustration with that. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. Although for for us, it would come down to some of the other beers that we do. You know, we brew a um, our our Kolsch that we make, Kolsch Tastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we use Mount Hood hops in that. Mount Hood is you know it's hopped. It's been around for a really long time, and you know at this point, there's I think there might be one grower growing Mount Hood. Um, and so, you know, we used to buy it from, uh, one company and basically, yeah, they, they tore it all out because not very many people are buying it. And, um, luckily there's a a local Oregon grower who, you know, who I think we're a bit tight with, but then also I think, you know, anyways, they want to, they want to keep it around as well. Um, but that it's a hot Mount Hood might not, I don't know, depending on how sales go. You know, they might, they might even tear it out. So then we might have to make a transition and it's fantastic in this culture. You know, it's one of those hops that just, um, you know, most people aren't using a hop like Mount Hood anymore, or if they're using something in that vein, you know, they're going for, you know, traditional like German, you know, Hollertau or Herzberger or, or, you know, something along those lines. Um, so I guess, you know, if push comes to shove, we'll probably switch to a hop like that if they don't grow Mount Hood anymore, but I hope that still continues. You know, yeah. um, yeah, we'll have to see with these, like with experimental beer, you know, catch 23, you know, we call it experimental IPA, you know, using these new hops. It doesn't so much matter because, because <laughs> we're brewing it for a season and then, and then we're already planning on going to something new anyways. Um, so, so in some ways it works out pretty well to have these new hops that, it, that there's just a small amount of them, uh, because, you know, because beer drinkers are looking for something new all the time. I, I I don't know. I, I and I feel like I've gone down this this road too many times before. But it's there, there's something for there's something to be said for having I don't know traditional ingredients or ingredients that have been around for a while or flavors or process like whatever it is to to sort of help beer drinkers become you know more evolved, more rounded, you know whatever, as opposed to just always trying something new. Like if Mount Hood disappears, that feels like it's sort of a loss for beer overall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not. I, I would be, I, you know. I would be disappointed. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would be be disappointed. Our beer, you know, it wouldn't be what it is right now. You know, right now people are like, I think one of the things. I mean, besides loving the way this beer tastes, it's fun when people are like, "What is that hot?" You know, when brewers, when brewers, because they're the ones who ask the question, of course. Yeah, uh, they're like they're like, what is that? And we're like, it's Mount Hood, and they're like, Mount Hood, you know, just it's uh, to to surprise you know all these all these other brewers and stuff. And so, I mean, if Mount Hood doesn't exist anymore, yeah, we'd probably make this transition, and and then we'd be like, yeah, it's you know, it's Hollertown, and people be like, oh yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> so that would be disappointing. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, I I don't know how much I'd have to look at how much Mount Hood we buy. You know, well, yeah, we'll probably be buying like a quarter of all the Mount Hood grown, that's grown in the world. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's actually true, but maybe because I think it, it's down to like an acre or two or something like that. Again, I should fact check you on it, but it's just, <laughs> you know, the beach house is calling me at this point. More with Ben 11 in just a moment. But first, a word of thanks to the companies that help keep the drink beer, think beer lights on the air. Pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels, each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. 
Also check out NZ Hops. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And we're also brought to you by Lawson's Finest Liquids. Their taproom, beer garden, and retail store are open 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Friday and Saturday. Get beer, food, and Vermont hospitality all in one place. Learn more at lawsonsfinest.com. And now back to my conversation with Ben Love of Gigantic Brewing Company in Portland, Oregon. So I had Kolsch Tastic a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you sent some bottles in for the wine enthusiast panels that I was working on. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I dug the beer. It was a lot of fun to drink. Um, and then afterwards, you know, like after I'm done with the blind tastings, I get to sort of look at everything and I get to look at label art and, you know, packaging and everything. And I wanted to actually call you back then because you guys are using these returnable 500 ml bottles. And yeah. I know that was something that Oregon uh, instituted or made available a couple of years ago. Um, and it was one of those things that I always wanted to write about and think about and talk about. And then other things happened. Um, how's that working out? I, I guess first, if you could pr- just provide a little bit of background, because I butchered yeah. what this program is, but then how it's been going. Totally. Yeah. So the, the Oregon beer recycling cooperative that you know runs um all of the all the recycling all the beverage recycling in oregon uh put together uh these yeah these refillable bottles um and uh they started they basically there's a 12 ounce bottle and a 500 mil bottle and um we went into that beer and that beer in that bottle a couple months a couple years ago and it's it's working out (laughs) Yeah. In all honesty, like, like it's a fantastic program because, you know, the bottles, excuse me, somebody drinks the bottles, it goes, it gets, it gets returned and then it goes, it gets washed and it comes back to us and we refill it. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I don't think I need to tell people that, you know, re refillable packaging is where we need to be. You know, there's a lot of people talking about that already. I know that there's some big companies that, you know, Johnson and Johnson and Unilever that are, have been experimenting with uh, refillable packaging and trying to uh, make that a, a regular part of their uh, their product line, essentially. Yeah. Um, because, and yeah, I mean, look at all the. I mean, we all do it. We all we all throw tons of stuff away. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so if you know, re- refillable is better than recyclable because there's the in, the energy impact is really low uh, to wash something up as opposed to melting it down and reforming it. Um, unfortunately, I mean, it's one of those things at this point in Oregon. Yeah, it's an Oregon program. It's mostly uh, gigantic and double mountain brewing on the beer side that are uh, championing this package. Uh, you know, everybody wants beer in a can. <laughs> so so that's one of the things that's really been uh, tough about it is that, uh you know, all the retailers, uh, all the retails, all the customers, you know, they're coming in, they're looking for uh, beer in a can for the most part. And so, you know, we can at all. No, we don't can at all. Okay. Yeah, we don't can at all. Double Mountain doesn't can at all. We've decided to stick to our guns and uh, try to do what we can to, to get the people that, you know, that care about this stuff to, um, to decide to buy beer in bottles you know, in these returnable bottles. Um, 
And it's definitely, it's a bit of an uphill battle, you know? I mean, like during COVID, it wasn't, it worked out pretty well because, you know, everybody, nobody's buying any draft beer. And so our bottle sales were really good. They're still good, but it's not like, I feel like if we were in cans, it wouldn't be um, as much of a push, you know? We're, we're mm-hmm. definitely, you know, we have, we have customers that, that love the bottles and love what we're doing. And they, they obviously, they love the liquid inside of it. So they're going to buy our beer, you know, whether it was in a bottle or a can or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to tell this story so that people realize that, um, that if they really care about these things, then they're going to buy something in a refillable package as opposed to in a can that uh, gets recycled. You know, um, and, and the reality is too, that a lot of people don't know this. I didn't know it until we started talking about it with the local cooperative, you know, that all the cans that have the pressure sensitive labels on them, those aren't recyclable Yeah, because, you know, they start, apparently they start fires in the smelting plants. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) yeah, I've been hearing more and more about that these days. Yeah. 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 And apparently, um, before COVID, uh, um, basically like the, the companies that do the melting down the cans and everything, recycling the cans, um, they were preparing to tell all the recycling cooperatives around the country that, you know, they needed to essentially like call all that, all those pressure sensitive label cans out of their, um, out of what they were sending to be recycled or basically like these recycling, uh, companies wouldn't take their loads anymore. And so it was, it was basically, it was coming to a head and it, you know, it might come to a head again. Apparently the only reason why it didn't is because, you know, the total volume went up to a level of, you know, of cans that it, that it wasn't as much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, it's definitely something in the long run that is going to have to be solved. Um, and so, yeah, we'll just see, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see where it goes. When you were talking about retailers, um, have you found that there are people who won't carry you because they don't want to carry bottles? I wouldn't put it that way. I'd, okay. I'd say, you know, that it's more the, um, I mean, I guess, I guess that is how it is, but I guess that is how it is. But, but essentially they're like, they're like, my customers like cans, you know? And so if you guys are in cans, we, you know, have your beer all day long, but because you're in bottles, then, uh, then yeah, we're not going to carry it. And so, yeah, I suppose that, that is how it is. And, and, and um, what do you hear? From, and what do you hear from the customers when they come in or you're interacting with them? Are there people who saying like, I Oh, mean, you know, I would buy you more often, but you know, I, I hear that wanna... from time to time, but also like, you know, we have, uh, we have customers now that love the bottles and I think, you know, they love, uh, they're into the whole, the whole bringing them back and they know that they're going to come back and get washed and we're going to refill them. And so, uh, you know, that's something that uh, customers are bringing us back the bottles all the time. And, and especially, you know, during COVID, we started doing home delivery. And, uh, you know, it was like we were like the milkman. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, we were the milkman. And, and, and actually, it's funny because, you know, getting into these re- re- refillable bottles, like when I was a kid, you know, we'd go down to there was, uh, I think it was called Sen's Dairy. And we'd go down there and they actually had this, it was pretty slick. They had this like drive through operation they had you know a wall of coolers and basically like we'd we'd drive through and you know we'd give them our old bottles and then they'd give us new bottles and we'd just cruise right out and uh yeah it was a fantastic way to go way to do it yeah it's interesting like you know in um 
in Canada, where my wife's from, once you get to a certain level of production, you have to go into a, a refillable bottles. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, and that's why they're, that's why, you know, all of the Labats and all the other, they, they don't have the embossed bottles like, you know, Sim Adams or New Belgium or like any of the fancy yeah. bells and whistles, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, why aren't we doing that here? I know why we're not doing that here. Because, <laughs> because obviously for those guys, it doesn't make sense monetarily, I would assume, you know, or that, yeah, they want their custom model. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, but that's where we should be. That's where it should go. Um, I don't know. That's a big problem that we all deal with all the time, right? I mean, look at all the all the throwaway packaging that's pro- proliferated as a result of COVID um, because everybody's getting everything to go. When you get the, the, the bottles back, um, what sort of testing do they go through? Like, obviously, you're cleaning everything mm-hmm. out and hopefully you're not finding too many gross things inside of... Yeah, um, I mean, you know, this this like, this like whole program as far as like um, washing the bottles and everything like that, you know, I mean, we ask the customers to bring them back rinsed, of course. Um, but then, you know, it goes to, it goes to a washing facility and, um, you know, they've, yeah, obviously like they've been washing, washing facilities have existed and ran at very high levels for a really long time, you know, look at all the breweries in Germany, like, you know, all the big breweries in Canada, they're all running, uh, washing lines. And so, so those have, you know, they have multiple cameras, lasers, you know, check for impurities or you know hairlines exactly. or anything like that yeah totally yeah and to make sure the bottle is actually clean and um and ready to go yeah when it comes back to us so basically these bottles you know they they can get i think the average life can be is like 25 fills okay so you it's know pretty impressive they, yeah 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 and they can go longer than that um yeah there was something and I, I, I've talked about this on the show in the past, but there's something about after, you know, I was done with all the reviews and, you know, there's, there's a spare bottle that was left over and I was sitting out in the backyard and I was just drinking right from the bottle. And there's something that was really nice about having the bottle in my hand and sort of like this nostalgic throwback to like, right. I, I don't know, 2013, um, <laughs> you know, which is not that long ago, but like the aesthetics of it. Or just the you know the the sensory experience of it you know if if even if you are pouring into a glass, um, yeah. is, is that something that you think plays into? I don't I, know, yeah, the I, I totally. I no, I agree with you. I I, I totally think it does. Um, you know, I've heard, I've heard people for years say that you know beer tastes better out of a bottle than out of a can. Do I think it's true? No, but yeah, I was going to say yeah. <laughs> But I've heard it for, you know, I'm sure you've heard it before. Right. That like IPA and direct sunlight in the bottle is, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, but no, I completely agree with you. You know, I think I think people do like that experience. Um, that, you know, the can, at the end of the day, I mean, I get it. You know, cans are lighter. If you're going like backpacking or you're going down to the, you know, especially during the summer, or you're going down to the, the lake or the river or whatever. Like, like yeah. it's a lot easier to to take some uh, a six pack of cans. But um but no, I think people do enjoy the experience of drinking out of a bottle a lot more. You know, it reminds me of like uh, uh, what in, in uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption, you know, when they're like tarring the tarring the roof and at the end yeah. they're like drinking, uh, you know, ice cold Bohemian lager. 
you know, out of, out of those beautiful bottles. I mean, and that experience, uh, yeah, like you said, like you experienced it. I think we yeah. all experience it. When you yeah. There's just, there, there, there's just something that's just sort of like a nice throwback to it and just a little simpler and just enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we started talking, uh, I, I told you I came in with no particular plan and I feel like we've, we've been bouncing around a little bit, but you mentioned uh, that you had notes oh, yeah. in front of you before we started. <laughs> and I didn't ask yeah. you what was on those notes because I totally. figured like if I hit like a, a point where I was like, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to ask him next. Yeah. Um, I'd just be like, hey, Ben, what's on your notes? Go to your so, notes. Yeah. Hey, That's, Ben, so what's on your notes? What's on my notes? So we already hit a couple of them. Uh, you know, I had collaborations on there and okay. then I had uh, traveling. I was going to, yeah, I was th- yeah, yeah. Cause I was like, I should, I should think about it, especially in the morning. Usually, you know, it's 11 in the morning here. And so, uh, yeah. like, you know, I'm not, I'm not as, uh, jovial as I might be at, you know, five or six in the afternoon after having a couple of beers. Uh, <laughs> so right. I, like, I should have some notes next, ready to next, go. Next time, next time I'll yeah. schedule this uh, according to your, to your personality time. Not a morning person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was going to say with collaborations, you know, we do do a lot of collaborations. I mentioned a couple already, but, um, during COVID it was interesting because, you know, of course people aren't really traveling and, you know, understandably, um, we're all trying to stay safe and, and so uh, one of the fun ones we did was with uh, Ale Apothecary uh, from Ben. And, yeah. you know, Ben's about, it's what, three hours away from us. And so I, I think we were actually talking about that collaboration. We had started talking uh, work of it. Anyways, uh, we did this collaboration with, with Paul Arney from Ale Apothecary. And, yeah. you know, the whole idea was that uh, uh, we do an IPA because whenever I go see Paul, you know, he doesn't make IPA, but he likes drinking IPA. So whenever I go see him, I always bring him a case for our IPA. And so I was like, well, let's just, you know, let's brew an IPA. You, you don't make these IPAs. It'll be fun. And, um, and so we, we headed down that road and then, you know, he wanted to tie it into his band, uh, which is called Via For Real. So the, the beer is called Via For Real. And the idea was basically to have his band come uh, play a set in the brewery to infuse the beer with rock and roll. You know, they plan, they kind of have this like kind of surfy, surfy rock and roll indie, indie rock thing going. And so that was always a, the idea. But then, of course, with COVID, it didn't totally make sense. So what we ended up doing is we uh, they streamed. They did like uh, they did a live Instagram stream. And then I like blasted it in the brewery to make sure that it got into the beer. Let me tell you, it worked. The beer is fantastic. It totally, it was the most uh, rocking beer we have ever made. And it was, yeah, it was delicious. So I, I highly recommend that uh, if we, if we have to go down to full on lockdown again, to any brewers out there to, uh, you know, to play rock and, rock and roll too. I am, I am blanking at the moment, but the very first episode of this show, uh, was with Matt Brendelson and we were in Belgium and we were visiting a brewery that's in the Duval family that I cannot for the life of me remember what it was, but they have a barrel room downstairs that all it plays is Barry white records. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. That's amazing. Continu- continuously like 24 <laughs> hours a day. It is just, it is just Barry white records. And that episode, I'll send you the link if you want, but that episode ends uh, with Brendelson and I having a conversation and uh, Barry White does a cover of Dean Martin's Volari. 
yeah. which I, I had never heard before, never heard that before and just yeah. lost my mind with like how wonderful it is, but also how just insanely bizarre it is. Um, so I can't imagine what those barrels taste like, but it's got to be smooth. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got to tell you the Barry White thing. Uh, I'm a big funk and soul guy. I love funk and soul. And uh, I was in Chicago a couple of years ago and stopped into a record store there. I was digging and, uh, and I found, uh, I can't remember which store this was, but I, I pulled up this photo. Uh, they put little notes on the records and stuff, little like, you know, so you know what, what the record sounds like or whatever. And this was on a copy of uh, Barry White's uh, sheet music, uh, which is like the cover is uh, a bed, like a, a silk bed and it says sheet music with all the music anyways, cause it's sexy as fuck. But like, uh, but the thing said, uh, it's like almost all of the Barry White records are under five bucks and they're all good, but they still don't sell. Don't people fuck anymore? <laughs> I was going to say that's another beer name, but you already disappointed me with nose tickles and without being able to come up with one. So, um, uh, and it was deconic. So, yeah. I, I, I don't even know why I, I couldn't think of it uh, right off the bat, but it was, um, uh, it was their barrel room. Um Oh, Deconic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have, have you thought about nose tickles as we've been talking? Have you, have you come up with something better? <laughs> uh, Was no, the back you of your brain working? Or that. is this like yeah. one of these things where I need to call you in five hours after like you've woken up yeah. and had a couple of beers? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't have to keep working on that. Um, yeah. I don't I mean, know, like, like part of me is like going, uh, I don't know why, but, but going to like a, uh, kind of basically like a, a Belgian wit, but with like Szechuan peppercorn. Okay. Cause you know, cause you'll sniff it and you get, you get these nose tickles. I, <laughs> I, I think you're like, you're, I think you're, you're, you're homing in on it a little bit more. <laughs> I'd, I'd, so. I'd love, I'd love to see this beer become a reality. I think that that's just the. You know, <laughs> in bottles, but you have to pour it into the glass so you can get the full aromatic experience. The out full of effect, it. yeah, exactly, and the visual as well. You know, it yeah, of like course. Snow, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Anything, anything else in your notes, Ben? Uh, what else did I have? Um, well, yeah, I had the I'm traveling down. I was going to talk yeah. about yeah, the, all that stuff, and then uh, oh, and then our our Pilsner series. So uh, oh, we've been doing a series now you're of my language. Yeah, we've been doing a series of, I don't know, we've, we've kind of American Pilsners. I guess we've settled on American Pilsners. Sometimes call them like a West Coast Pilsner or whatever. But um, Does you that know, mean hoppy? Exactly. Yes, totally. Yeah. But um, and it, it's been Does it mean hazy too? Because, uh, no, not hazy. Okay. Yeah, no, not hazy. But just, you know, it's it's been a series of single hop Pilsners. So we use, you know, we use German malt and then... Um, and then we've done, we started out last year with Citra. So we did Citra, Galaxy, um, Mosaic, Crystal, Lotus. Um, and it's been, it's been an interesting journey for us. It's been interesting as brewers for us because basically, you know, we started out, we've, we've done, you know, you can call it IPLs or whatever you want to call them, you know, but uh, yeah. we, we've done a few over the years, uh, but it wasn't until we started doing this, you know, with regular consistency you know, we've been doing it for a year now or a little over a year um, that we, uh, that I feel like we've learned a lot because when we first got into it, you know, we, we, we added a lot more hop than we had now. So we dialed it way back 
And um, I feel like we've gotten into a level that's really good that, yeah, it sounds like <laughs> you were excited when I was first talking about Pilsners, but then I could hear in your voice, you're like, oh yeah, those happy Pilsners. Well, that, no, that's the thing. I, it, it, <laughs> yeah, I, if I want like a huge kick of hops, like I'm gonna go for a pale ale or an IPA or, yeah. or, or something yeah. like that. Like when, when I hear Pilsner lager, it, I just want something where, you know, the nice malt profile comes through and something that finishes mm -hmm. clean and that is not going to require oh. a tongue scraper afterwards. And, yeah. you know, this whole, like, we have to Americanize everything, uh, you know, beer wise, of like course. is, yeah. I'm but are you finding shows, that after like you down it back? America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you go to Canada. Um, but <laughs> are you finding that since you dialed it back that people responded better. Like, I, I guess for context, I, I've talked with uh, Jeff Allworth in the past and huh? I had sort of expressed surprise that Portland and Oregon in general, wasn't as like completely embracing of hops in the beer scene as I thought maybe it was like as an outsider. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's like just, in what ways? Like, like, just like every beer is hoppy to, to the extreme. And like, like all mm. Oregonians mm. want to drink is hops. And, yeah. and, and all of those like, no, we are, we are a lager people. Like we are a Pilsner people. We are, you know, easygoing and um, like, there's a place and there's a time and place for it. But, you know, I guess yeah. just coming from the outside, it's like, oh, it's, it's Oregon. They're, they're hop forward. Did, did you find that after you dialed it back, people responded to it in a different way? I think so. Yeah. I, um, you know, especially early on, I think for a lot of people, it was, uh, it was just, I think too hoppy. You know, it was just too intense. It was too dry hopped, really. That was a big part of it. I mean, we we dialed back the beer, back the hops in both the kettle, and, but especially in the dry hop, and um, and that has been the the biggest change. And but I mean, like the the level at which we're hopping and especially dry hopping is, I think we're at like a quarter or a fifth of what we started at. You know, so it's a dramatic yeah. a dramatic drop. And so now, yeah, if somebody comes in and they like a they like a Pilsner, especially something that's, you know, made with, with traditional hops um, that they can have one of ours. And, and they're like, Oh, this is nice because it's, it's at the same level, you know, it's essentially kind of at a, a German, uh, German hopping level. Uh, but, but with these nice, uh, I'm drinking the citra right now. And, and that's probably the biggest thing is we've come full circle as far as that was the first one we brewed a year ago. And now we brewed it again. And the beer that we have now, is dramatically different than the first one and it's just i feel like we've we've found uh we found the right pocket to be in for this beer you know what i mean we'll continue to work on it but but we're getting much closer um and so it's fun to to do I, as a brewer it's 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 fun to do these beers where we're continually working on them and continually like tinkering on them to get them just right you know when we first brewed kolstastic then that that beer was the same way that we've uh We've worked on it. We worked on it for a long time. We're still slightly modifying it, but we're pretty much where we want to be. Um, but like with that one, you know, we found that a combination of German malts was actually got us to the flavor that we wanted to be at because you know mm. some of the some of the German malts are really uh, rich in flavor, and some yeah. of them are a little bit more. You know, they're just subdued. They're mild. You know, and so having a combination of both can is where where we found with our Kolsch that we wanted to be. Um, so it's just, yeah, 
been a fun series. I don't know. Yeah, when Jeff's talking about like, uh, I mean, Portland is definitely really hoppy, but I'd say, yeah, people run the gamut. I don't know. My mind went right away to like, you know, that for a long time, the the number one draft beer in Oregon was Widmer Hefeweizen, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't hoppy at all. Or like uh, also that, you know, the, the beer that people love to drink. I mean, we were... I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure, you know, the, the Pabst revolution that happened, what, like 10 years ago or something like that. You can thank sure. Portland for that, you know, good or bad. You can thank I, Portland. I, I was always blaming uh, Brooklyn <laughs> for that. I, I didn't know that that was. Oh, serious. really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was probably both. Okay. <laughs> it was Brooklyn on the East coast and Portland on the West coast. Um, so yeah. I mean, I I could also be getting Allworth's words wrong. I'm going to get a strongly worded email from him saying next week saying, you know, <laughs> I never said that. Um, uh, although I'm fairly confident he did. Um, no fact checking this week. Sorry. Um, right? Yeah, exactly. Is do you still see uh, Widmer Hefeweizen? Uh, I'm using their pronunciation um, around, or has that just been the completely? Hazy? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Is that is that, that is that our, how they're marketing it now? That was our marketing campaign. <laughs> yeah, which I was oh. like, yeah. Oh. God, I love yeah. those guys, but yeah, just missed the point. No, I know, um, I know. Seriously, just <laughs> poor Curtin Rob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they're like retired on the beach now or whatever. No, I, yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, um, you know, not really. No. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, not on draft. Um, you know, so you, see it, you see it on the shelf. Yeah, I think it's a lot of a lot of cans and bottles and stuff. So, really quick though, how have you seen Portland evolve in the last two or three years, beer wise? Because I always think of it as um, as sort of a a, a forward a forward thinking beer town. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's really, I I you know your your um your contention that, you know, it was all hops and stuff. I definitely on the craft beer side, I'd say, you know, that was basically true. You know, I mean, I feel like, uh, yeah, it was all hops or for a pocket there, you know, maybe like what, four, four or five, five to 10 years ago, there was a lot of, uh, Belgian style beers, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, you saw in a lot of places, but, um, especially here. And then now over the past, definitely over the past three years, you know, has been the rise of the loggers as far as, um, as something that's not, that's not hoppy, you know? I mean, it's basically like, I don't know. I'm not, I guess I'm not traveling a lot right now. So past two years, just been hanging out at home. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, like, uh, it's basically IPAs, lagers, um, sours to a certain extent. Although, I mean, I think we've all seen that's expanded and changed. You know, you know, we had Cascade, you know, we have Cascade here. We have Logston um, that are making these and and obviously uh, DeGard as well, you know, making these beautiful sours. Uh, But a lot of that's changed now to, uh, you know, the the quick turn sours. And then all like uh, um, the sour, (laughs) I feel like it should be sour name only, Uh, you know, like the pastry sours. I don't think of those beers as sour at all. I mean, I get it. There's a sour component to them. I don't think of them as sours like, you know, like the other beers, uh, the aforementioned beers. But like, uh, I will say that it seems like Oregon hasn't been, uh, there are a lot of people that are buying uh, these like pastry beers and sours, but it's definitely a very small part of our market. 
And even the hazy beers that we're making, you know, our hazies, um, there's a lot of them that are really juicy, but then there's a lot of them that still have bitterness to them as well. So it's definitely, um, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not like West coast IPA bitterness, but it's definitely, it's more than just the straight up glass of juice, hazy IPA. Yeah. Um, so, so we've seen that out here that we've kind of, we've taken that style on. Um, well, I guess I would, I wouldn't say that all of, I know that that's what we do and a handful of other brewers do, but there's also the guys that make the stuff that's like, you know, straight up juice in a glass. Um, cause people love that. So, um, at this point it's kind of, it's a little bit of everything, but I feel like it's expanded, you know, for a long time, I think people knocked us for not having, they'd come out here and yeah. And, and they'd be like, you guys are very narrow as far as what you do. You know, and I'd say that we have kind of the full range at this point. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It runs the gamut. Cool. Well, I'm hoping to get back out there. I don't know when, but I always enjoy drinking in that town. It's just such a, there really is something for, for everybody and depending on mood or, you know, time or place and uh, beers just seem to hit better when I'm there. So, um, <laughs> Hey, thanks for, where are you headed for a vacation? What's that? We're, I'm going down the shore, down the Jersey shore for a uh, week. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we'll build sand castles and drink a lot of white claw and uh, <laughs> you know, listen to EDM and uh, it's going to be great. It's just uh, not Billy Ocean, not like uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of yeah. If I was on the Jersey Shore, I think I'd put together you know kind of an '80s '80s uh, pop hits. Okay, hits some some yacht collection. rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's what it would be. It would be yacht rock. Yeah, totally. Okay, all right. I mean that that's obviously <laughs> a better choice. I was going with what everybody thinks the Jersey Shore is, but like you know, yacht rock is much more my speed, along with. Uh, um, and after you started talking about, um, uh, pipe wrench earlier, I, I, I'm definitely, um, I'm going to go buy a good bottle of gin and just drink gin and tonics all week. So, <laughs> oh, uh, I thought you were going to say you're going to buy a big bottle, good bottle of gin uh, and a lot of IPA, IPA and just do drop shots. Just yeah. be like, daddy is on vacation. Yeah. No, that's not with the, out. not with the four-year-old. <laughs> There is, there is no way in hell that I could even attempt one of those with a four-year-old uh, getting up at five o'clock in the morning to watch something called Chicken Squad. Um, that's the new obsession in our house is something called Chicken Squad. Um, so thanks for doing this, though. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. Do we get, do we get all of your notes? Was, was this, this was totally so, yeah. worth your time. Nobody is listening anymore. Everybody is tuned out of just, you know. Us blathering back and forth, but um, right. I, I hope yeah. I hope you had fun at least. Had a good time. Yeah, exactly. So, will nose tickles be coming to a glass near you soon? Only time will tell. In the meantime, I'm hopefully enjoying a gin and tonic right now. But thanks for staying with us on this show. I'll be back and rested next week, and I'll have a bunch of great show planned for the coming weeks, actually. But before I actually head off, I'm going to ask you to check out BeerEdge.com to subscribe to the newsletter to catch up on episodes of the very excellent Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch and to get with us on the This Week in Rauk Beer group on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll let you know all of the pertinent information. And speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. 
They're a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program, used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And we're also brought to you by Dragon's Milk. 20 years ago, New Holland Brewing Company embarked on a journey into the unknown, brewing the first batch of Dragon's Milk bourbon barrel-aged stout. What started as a single barrel in the back of the brewery has transformed into the best-selling American-made stout today, pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels. Each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. As promised, Sean Lawson is back with me on the line. He's the founder of Lawson's Finest Liquids in Vermont, which is a sponsor of this episode. So thank you to them. And we're talking about Sip of Sunshine. And you've said, Sean, that uh, your new brewery and your brewery in general is the house that Sip of Sunshine built. Go into that a little bit more because I'm, I'm sort of curious as to how one beer has helped shape your business. Yes, John. When I, we launched Sip of Sunshine, I was brewing beer seven barrels at a time all by myself in Warren, Vermont. And the decision to start uh, brewing beer at another facility was a real leap of faith for me to, to let someone else uh, handle my beer. But the way that we did it was with our own ingredients, our own yeast, our own process. And that enabled me to create a flavor profile that was consistent with our brand and what our fans expect. And the beer just took off. It was our grand slam uh, success, and it enabled me and uh, my wife, Karen, to grow the business and grow our production each year since then uh, and expand our distribution and position us by succeeding with our sales to uh, have the wherewithal to build our new production brewery here in Waitsfield, Vermont, along with our dream, the destination taproom that we have here finally a home for Lawson's Finest that we never had before with the brewery being at our house, uh, <laughs> not open to the public. So it couldn't uh, be a, a better entrepreneurial success story for us, a dream come true. Uh, and it's all thanks to the Sip of Sunshine and, and our fans that have supported us along the way and continued to, to buy that beer each week, each month, and each year. So thank you to our fans out there. Well, you can learn more about Sip of Sunshine and you can find it uh, at the brewery's full distribution footprint by going to lawsonsfinest.com. And Sean, thanks so much for telling us the story of Sip of Sunshine. A reminder to check out Steal This Beer every Monday, the Beer Edge podcast and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. I'm John Hall with the out-of-office message enabled. New episodes release every Wednesday of this show, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.